0: Welcome back to the Focus on Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Preston. And I'm Jason.
1: Jason, welcome to the number two episode on our Ag Tech series. Yeah, today we uh, actually have a first also, our first returning guest. As our listeners might remember, we spoke with Jack Mark, who's the Managing Director of the Illinois Ag Tech Accelerator last February. He really works with a lot of startups and helps them get off the ground and, and provide some, some funding and some guidance. So he has his finger on the pulse of the future of AgTech. tech.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It was very interesting to hear all of his companies, you know, they're all under the ag tech umbrella, but I mean, everything from, I I don't want to spoil it. So I'll just say that there's a diversity of companies in the ag sector that are really, I mean, they cover a lot of different gamuts. So is it saying too much to say he ate a bug? You can say, yeah, let's just say eating grasshoppers and stay tuned for that at the end of the podcast. So without further ado, let's get right into the podcast with Jack. Well, Jack, welcome back to the Focus on Agriculture podcast. It's good to have you here. To start things off, could you maybe just give a brief overview of your background, what you're up to now?
2: Sure. Sure, Preston. You know, I like to joke that if you hang out in central Illinois long enough, you're going to fall into agriculture forwards or backwards, one way or the other. <laughs> um, and so if, if you can believe it, I actually got started in agriculture working for a company that made model airplanes. <laughs> and so uh, it's been, been been a few years ago, but the partic- this particular company, which is based on a champagne horizon hobby, they um we kind of were looking into um, some commercial applications for some of our uav technologies and one of the places where we saw an opportunity was in in the aerial survey of crops as i'm sure everybody remembers six or seven years ago there was this prediction that ndvi was going to take over the world and we were going to be able to put crops on autopilot and these drones were just going to tell us everything we needed to know about um, how to do precision agronomy better and uh seven years i think people are still you know, having conversations with their agronomists. I don't know that NDVI quite delivered on everything that people thought it would, uh, but it was a great jump off point for me personally uh, into agriculture because um, through, through that project, I got connected with, uh, with a startup in Champaign, um, Agribol, where I worked as a product engineer for uh, until its acquisition by Nutrien. And then I worked as a product manager with Nutrien uh, on, a, on a few different um, projects. Uh, And then the opportunity to work with this accelerator came up and I jumped at it because very early on in my exposure with agriculture, I had a deep appreciation for how no nonsense the sales process is um, because uh, you've either got the goods or you don't. And so I really, that really resonated with me. Um, I'm I'm kind of, you know, I would say a data enthusiast. And so, um, you know, I think uh, I think being able to kind of show somebody evidence that something works and being rewarded for that, and and knowing that that's going to be that's going to come up in the conversation, I have a, an appreciation for that. So I think um, that's something I've always always really loved about agriculture. Although it's also what's challenging, because <laughs> if you don't have the goods, then
1: yeah.
2: you know <laughs> so. Um, so, yeah. And, and so, but one of the things that's been exciting about working with this this accelerator is that, that we deliberately select companies that are going to listen. And I think it's a critical survival skill in agriculture. If you're not going to listen, you're not going to last long. And so we deliberately select companies that are going to listen. And, um, and, and then that, that is a, uh, uh, for, for us, that's sort of, um, a good sign that they're going to uh, that's uh, that they have a critical survival skill. So we we don't know if they're going to go you know go big or whatever, but at the very least we know that they stand a chance. And so um, so yeah, that's that's kind of that's kind of what we do. So then we we, we work with the individual through the Illinois Actech Accelerator. Um, we work with these companies to help navigate their go to market strategies, their pricing plans, who their go to market partners should be. Um, and uh, and and really help them shape sort of um, the steps that come right after proving that it works, and then figuring out how to share that information with other people and get it into the hands of the people that uh, that are going to use that technology. And we cast a pretty wide net. I mean, it's you know we're based in Champaign. There's there's no denying kind of the impact that this geography that our community has on global agriculture um, in terms of the direct. This is how you put something in the ground and get something out of it. Uh, But we also kind of extend a little bit beyond kind of what I think a lot of people immediately think about in terms of agriculture. So we've done some stuff with businesses that uh, work with specialty crops. We've done some some food ingredients, um, but we tend to draw a line at like, say, a pretty box or bottle or bag. Um, and so we don't do anything around CPG or or consumer direct or marketplace technologies. It's all it's all all B two B. And we consider growers. Uh, you know, if you're going to sell to a grower, that's a, a grower's a business. So that's a B two B relationship.
1: That's absolutely a business, especially in today's. <laughs> Oh yeah, economy yeah, <laughs> and and you made a really interesting point too about the farmers and maybe there's a common stereotype out there that maybe farmers don't know what's going on or don't know how to handle business or whatever and and they can smell through uh, a, a scam or, or something pretty quick if it doesn't deliver value.
2: Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's uh, the analogy I like to use because every once we'll have founders again. Like I said, we select folks that are going to listen so. um, We'll find evidence of in in the business model that um, they haven't, that they don't have a full understanding of the economics of farming. Um, When you add in layers, and they're not ignorant about it, but when you, uh, in their defense, you know, it's complicated. When you look at who all the decision makers are, I mean, obviously, the a lot of times, a lot of the decisions, in-season decisions aligns with a farmer, but they rely on a network of support for that. It could be a crop consultant, it could be you know an agronomist, it could be an uncle. I mean, you never really know. And so they have a support system where it may not always make sense to, it doesn't always make sense to treat a grower like they operate in a vacuum because they don't. And even when it comes to the financial realities for farmers, when you layer in things like, what does a decision this year have, uh, how does that impact crop insurance in the future? um how does this impact as far as like cash flow perspectives like how do they approach that from a grain trading tra- uh your perspective how much liquidity they have at a given time in the year what's the right time to approach growers about a particular decision and um and so the, the the complexity is really not that the analogy that i like to use with startups that are kind of um that are going through this learning process they have a deep appreciation of the complexity of what it means to to grow um uh is uh, like, a, like a 401k, like a retirement fund manager. Um, they're looking at a lot of data. They're processing a lot of information. They've got a lot of tools to do that. They don't necessarily spend a lot of time in the sun, but <laughs> there's there's a lot of complexity to that job. And there's a huge amount of aversion to risk when you're talking about a portfolio that somebody's going to use to buy groceries next week if you're working with a retiree, say. And so... That doesn't necessarily mean that that fund manager is reluctant to use technology or they're ignorant or whatever. It simply means that they have pressures on their business and and risks that they're trying to manage. And growers are no different. Introducing new technology to a grower, if they're reluctant to do that, it's not because they don't like technology. It's because your technology has failed to balance the risk calculus that the farmer is looking at. And I think early on, it was having have a conversation with somebody who, who spent a great deal of time at Sagenta. They're, they're actually now going through, they have a startup of their own. They're now going through this program. So very, very familiar with this problem space. And, you know, the, both of us are kind of reflecting yesterday on the history of startups and agriculture and how kind of this first wave of technology came in. I'm like, oh, we've got this amazing, you know, um pixie dust and it's going to, you know, triple your yield or whatever and why don't you like it obviously you hate technology and then mckinsey put out their report in 2015 that i think was horribly of 2015 or 2016 that was kind of misinterpreted so it's not a knock against mckinsey but i think a lot of people saw that if you guys probably already know what i'm talking about right the the rate of technology or the amount of technology ad- adoption or how many times have we all had that like put in front of us and be like look <laughs> agriculture is down here by hunting <laughs> that doesn't make any sense <laughs> and and so and so clearly farmers don't like technology I was like, well no have you ever followed a farmer around like when are they supposed to sit down and type on a laptop like, this doesn't make any sense so um, anyway so we've we've had I think I think we've kind of gotten through that first phase and the folks that are um, the folks certainly the folks that we work with and I think as a at large um, the entrepreneurial community that is working to try to support the uh, uh, future food security um, is getting more sophisticated. They, these founders are like they're, they, they've they passed the ships that are rotting on the rocks. They've seen the failures. They're getting more intelligent. And they, quite frankly, to their credit, I think there's a great deal of humility that maybe wasn't there six or seven years ago where they want to learn and they want to listen. And and that is considered a best practice more so maybe than it was before, um, and so we're we're really excited about what that means for the food for the future of of agriculture as a whole, and then obviously the companies that we pick we're very excited about as well. So,
1: it seems a little obvious that you know you'd have to listen to your customer, but sometimes people have these great ideas and and they think their idea is so good. Well, I just need to. Explain to you how you're going to use it and how it's going to make your life better. And that's probably an easy trap to fall into.
2: Yeah. So I don't often like picking fights, but um, <laughs> um, I, I kind of like to to point out um, to folks that, because everybody kind of likes to talk about how the iPhone sort of ushered in this era of smartphones. But um, I was a smartphone user for four or five years before the iPhone launched. And um, and I can tell you from from having examined the possibility of buying an iPhone when the first iPhone launched, and I looked at what the iPhone could do, and I could look at, I had a Palm Trio 650 or something at the time, what my Palm phone could do, and there was no reason for me to buy an iPhone, because the iPhone was a technologically inferior product. And um, when you, and a lot of people, this is why I said, I don't usually like picking fights, but that's one that'll sometimes get people kind of, you know, a little a little fired up. Uh, but they forget what the first generation iPhone lacked. It didn't have an It didn't have an app store. Steve Jobs was adamant about it not having an app store. That came later. Oh. There's no copy or paste. And, and the phone that I had at the time, I could use as a modem for my computer. This is before hotspots. I could use my phone as a modem. I could log in to our point of sale software of the company that I was working with at the time remotely on my phone and check inventory using a third party app. These are things that the iPhone didn't have. But what the iPhone did have was accessibility. And why was that? It was because Apple listens to their customers better than, than frankly, they listen to their customers better than Palm, better than BlackBerry. And, and, and now those companies BlackBerry is officially dead, the last attempt to revive it failed a few months ago. Palm is a shadow of what it was. If it's, if it's anything, I don't even think that they kind of tried to bring it back a little bit last year and it fizzled and died horribly, but, um, but apple i I mean apple is apple is household name and it's it's it has a vast market share in the united states and and it's all about accessibility and you don't you can't achieve excessive accessibility and technical sophistication and, 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 and 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 new technology are not automatically related to each other henry ford didn't invent the car he made it accessible ibm didn't invent the personal computer they made it accessible and apple didn't invent the smartphone but they made it accessible in a way that nobody had before and I think that's you don't you can't get there without listening to your customer. And and when you when you really are dialed into their pain points and their feedback, then you have an opportunity to make technology accessible.
1: Yeah, that's a really great point and really interesting. And I think I think if for the listeners there, if you want to hear a little bit more about Jack's background, a little bit more about the Tech Accelerator Program and what they do, you can go back and listen to episode thirty-nine, which we recorded last February, uh, where we talked with Jack earlier, but. You know, Jack, we'd like to get into a little bit of an update on some of those companies we talked about before and then and then look at some of you know your your newer classes. But we talked about several companies, and maybe you can just uh, name some of them and kind of give us an update on where where they are today. Yeah,
2: yeah, actually, there's, there's quite a bit there's quite a bit that's that's happened. So um, uh, one of the companies that we talked about was Outrify, And I mentioned before how we don't go to uh, the pretty box bottle or bag. Um, but Otrify is as close as we come. So they they've got a great project that they're working on with General Mills and the, and what basically just to recap on what Otrify does. Um, they they make it possible to track all of the paperwork that has to be that has to exist in support of products that you buy in the grocery store. So the example that Otrify uses that I love because it's so like household is a box of Cheerios. So a box of Cheerios has, I forget, there's 20 some odd ingredients um, that all have to have safety and, and, and whatnot documentation behind them. They also make a claim that the box of Cheerios is heart healthy, and they also make a claim on the box that it's gluten-free. And there has to be an enormous amount of documentation going all the way back, in some cases, all the way back to the to, to the field that was produced on that show that all of those things are true. So to be to be celiac friendly, which Cheerios claims, you can't, I don't even think, and I'm pretty sure that, that Cheerios has done this from the, like you can't mix those oats mm. with wheat at any point in the supply chain. So I believe they're even kept in different elevators. So you really mm. do have to go all the way back to the field. Okay. I, I, I believe that that's what Cheerios has done. I, I may be exaggerating a little bit the extent to which they've, they've, they've isolated that supply chain, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I read that. So um, at any rate, no matter where, how far back they've gone, there's paperwork to support it. And the way that this has been digitized is by scanning it. So, um, so it's a handwritten sheet and they digitize it by scanning it, which is kind of kind of funny to think about. That. That's not really digital. So what OtraFi is doing is they're automating the documentation tracking process. And it's a full turnkey solution for anybody, for any CPG that is sourcing goods. And then obviously anybody, any intermediary going all the way back to the producer benefits from this as well, because it simplifies that document requesting, tracking, et cetera, um, paper trail. Um, And they're backwards compatible. This is the thing that I love about these guys. They knew they can't just come in and say, okay, everybody burn your paper because you just lost a sale. There's no way. But what they have is they have the ability to extract the information from handwritten documents using text recognition Mm -hmm. uh, and handwriting recognition. To be able to digitize those documents and work and, and sort of migrate that legacy workflow into a more fully digital workflow. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've got a good relationship with General Mills and continue to land other customers. So they continue to grow. Mm-hmm. General Mills has moved out of the pilot phase with them and they're looking at commercialization, which is really exciting. So that's what's new for Ultrify. Um, we also worked with the crop protection uh, uh, chemical uh, chemistry out of Costa Rica um, that uh, has a novel uh, a novel non-human toxic they, they used to call it non-toxic or it it it's killing something it's got to be toxic to something so you can't <laughs> say non-toxic but it's not harmful to humans um and but very effective against dealing primarily with single cell organisms so fungus and fungi and things like that um, potentially they're looking at um you know potentially some other some other multicellular but very small bugs um, but uh, they have, they landed an exclusive distributor in Central, in Central America that they're very excited about. Um, so they're getting some traction there, primarily on some um, pre-harvest, some post-harvest for fruits and vegetables. Uh, and, and I believe they're working in coffee now. Um, and we're looking, actually, they're gonna, they're gonna come out will talk about this in a, in a second, but we have a conference that we're gonna be hosting in Champaign on July 25th and 26th. And we're looking to bring them here with some product samples uh, for them to start to uh, to start doing some trials in the United States, so we're really excited, uh, really excited about that. We've been waiting a long time to get to get them here, and uh, we're looking forward to actually being able to to do that. And then we had another company, um, Telltale, which is uh, uh, being able to you know, digitize the reports in pig finishing barns. Um, they have their first paying customers when they came into our program a year ago. They didn't have anything; they had no working software. They had no. They left the program with a prototype. Um, and then they've been in pilot for the last nine months. They're looking, they're, they have a first-paying customer now, and they're looking to do a lot more. Right. This is actually huge because the ability to digitize barn reports means that barn managers don't necessarily have to travel from barn to barn. And for those folks that are used to running livestock operations, the number one way that disease travels from barn to barn is actually via the human carrier. So we're looking at uh, uh, an elevated risk of uh, African swine fever landing in the United States this summer. And so farmers or producers are going to have to think very carefully about how they manage the risk around transmission. And one way to do that is to cut down on inter-barn visits by single individuals without some form of decontamination between the barns, which is kind of time-consuming and annoying. And so being able to digitize these reports means that you're not having to go across these barns to collect these clipboards. Now, the obvious reaction is great. I don't have cell coverage at my barns. It doesn't matter. Angela and I are not new to agriculture. And when we were going through her prototype, I said, you can't really launch this as a beta without if if it relies on a cell connection. So we, we, that, that she, from the very first prototype she ever sent out there, never relied on an internet connection. Um, to record the data. Obviously it has to get pushed up to the cloud eventually. So once you get back to a cell connection, it'll upload the data. And she's able uh, to put together some really interesting reports around the data that people are collecting at the the barn level. And then the last company that we uh, talked about um, in the spring was a company called Agvoice. And I joked before about how it's unreasonable and impractical to expect a a farmer to carry around a laptop while they're doing everything else. And Agvoice I'm really excited about because they're they're making progress on their um, speech engine their ag specific speak engine is essentially the alexa for agriculture so if oh, you can gosh. imagine being able to you, they usually will have you wear a headset or something like that but if you can imagine sort of like opening the app and particularly for um for seed breeders that are uh, that are in- inspecting uh uh you know corn or whatever throughout the season uh, and recording that information and a lot of times you have either one person who's like trying to hold the pen the clipboard and an ear of corn at the same time, or most times, I think they probably send two people out there. We talked to one company that um, actually has somebody on the phone so that, because there's no practical way to hold three things with two hands. And so this enables you to do that and, um, and records it accurately. So we're really excited. And you think about the implications on farm management systems and the amount of data, like if, you've got, if you're engaged in a carbon program or something like that and you put it off to the end of the season, you gotta put your stuff in to get the credits with Indigo or whoever, you could spend, I haven't talked to a farmer who's like, oh yeah, it took me an hour. <laughs> like I everybody's like, oh yeah, it took like two or three days. I was up till one o'clock in the morning to hit the deadline or whatever. But you can imagine where if you could do that by voice throughout the season. So like while you're climbing the tractor and you're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna plant today, row spacing, seed population, whatever it is that you have to enter in your farm management system, you could do it like in the situation, like as it's happening. So we're really excited about what Ag Agvoice. They practically invented a keyboard that actually works in agriculture. We're going to think about it that way. It's that fundamental. So we're really excited about, about where they're headed. Uh, it, yeah,
1: I was just going to say, as, as someone with a breeding background, I can attest to the value mm-hmm. of something, of voice recognition when you're taking notes, because it's pretty difficult to have a pad that you're trying to look at and, and you're trying to enter data You know, we've tried all we've tried all kinds of things over the past 10 or 15 years where you have a little handheld uh calculator type thing where you're trying to just enter numbers on it without looking and you know it, there's no good solution other than than voice i think so there's a lot of potential there for for uh, industry use too
2: yeah and they are looking at beyond just uh beyond just farmers too so they're looking at dairy and ranch operations too i mean it, you work i mean their target user works with their hands like there is no this is the thing about tech adoption sorry to kind of rant about this but when people talk about the slow adoption of technology and ag it's more of like tech where have you been like congratulations you managed to get an accountant who used to write on a piece of paper at a desk you took his piece of paper and, and pen away and gave him a laptop or a pc or whatever like Fine. you didn't fundamentally change where they work or how they work they're just entering the data that they were entering before differently but we've we've expected farmers to change fundamentally into without abandoning what they what they've always done which is grow food we've been we the the, the pressure on them has become oh now you have to be an it specialist well now you have to you know you, you have to oh, yeah. you know uh, carry this laptop around all the time. Well, okay, so we made it a little bit easier, and you got a mobile app. Well, it still takes one hand instead of two, or two if you're going to do anything with it. Um, and so I think uh, I'm I'm just, I'm really excited, frankly, for tech to catch up <laughs> to 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 what it means to to to, to farm um, and uh, or work with livestock or whatever. So so yeah, uh, we and then we did another program uh, in the fall. We worked with uh, we invested in four more companies. Um, and so I, I don't think I mentioned that um, early in this, but I think I did in, in, in the other episode that you mentioned, Jason, but um, we invest in all of these companies. So, so we, we walk a line alongside them as a, as a, as a partner um, for as long as they're in business. This isn't like where you buy a share of Microsoft and you know, Bill Gates calls and thanks you personally. I know he's not the CEO anymore, but that's, that's, not, the, that's not the case here. Like we, 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 we have to, I, I look all of these CE, CEOs and founders in the eye on a, on a monthly basis at least um, some of them will have more frequent calls you know, some of them I'm talking to weekly still a year later. Um, and so we're very close partners for them because we want them to be successful. So, um, so we ran another program in the fall, uh, invested in four more companies, one of them, uh, and again, tackling that farm management system. Um, uh, this is going to be a recurring theme because there's a company we're working with now that's along the same, uh, same vein. So I'll say, I'll say my, my hot take. I hope it doesn't offend anybody, but farm management systems have had a little bit of catching up to do because of the amount of information that had to be entered into them in order for them to become useful. Well, there's another approach to that. It's sort of like, what data do I need to put in or get out now for this one task in order for it to be useful? Because I'll do that if I get value out of it now. If I can put it off until the end of the season, like any person who's really good at time managing or procrastinator or both, I'm going to put it off until it has to be done because there's something else that has to be done today that can't be put off. And so if you integrate farm management and data entry into the process that has to be done today and it leverages that process, accelerates that process, then it's a value add to do it now. And so a really good example of that is Intelliculture, which is a company that we worked with in the fall. They're primarily working on um operations with lots of small machines as opposed to a small number of very large machines so they're looking at orchards and vineyards right now on the on the west coast uh, but they, their eyes are much bigger than that and um, what they do is they have uh, they interface with a device that plugs into an o, like say an obd2 port or a serial port on your machine and uh, and it tracks where you're going and what you're doing And so Climate Puck has done this before, but they're taking it different, a slightly different approach because they're immediately turning that data into things like spray coverage. Um, And they're, they're uploading that data in real time. So what that allows, uh, and for folks that are, um, this is going to be reviewed for folks that are um, used to orchard operations, but for those that aren't, you might have multiple machines in an orchard at one time. And they're going to have their own area, but maybe they're like, oh, I forgot to do that row. Did I do that row? Is the next guy supposed to do that row? Well, in real time, you can see where all of these machines mm-hmm. are and where they're covering. So the risk of overspray, double spraying, or missed spraying is basically zero because you can manage it in real time. They also, because they're pl- already plugged into the port, why not collect maintenance information? How long has the engine been running? How long has the machine been running? So you, they, you, people implement this technology because they get value from it in day one. Not in six months, not when you talk to your agronomist today. And so it becomes an integral part of your daily process and while also benefiting because that information can then be leveraged by a farm management system. And they integrate with different farm management system platforms and things like that. So, so that was one company that, that we worked with. We also worked with a company, um, Top Yield, that is facilitating the exchange of information between ag experts and uh, and people that need that knowledge. So so the the historical sort of paradigm for this, I think for most uh, most producers is that they would interact primarily with a crop consultant or sales crop consultant or sales consultant or whatever. Um, and uh, but I think there's there's an opportunity alongside that not a replacement of that but alongside that I think there's an opportunity to to have uh, to t- sort of take that coffee shop conversation. Um coffee shops probably Casey's but... I think that conversation to the internet and sort of say, well, actually, you know, I've got this situation, this problem, what is everybody else doing? And this is the, this is really quick, frankly, the value of the internet. This happens to sort of like people, people call it like ag Twitter, or there's Facebook groups for this. There's ag talk and things like that. But Topfield kind of is taking a novel approach because I think they, they see value in the exchange of that information. Um, and, and so they're exploring different ways that they can, they can capture that value. Um and in and, and validate the the um, validate the source of that knowledge so,
1: so it's, this, you're, it's yeah is this more like a, a forum or a social media platform or is it more of like a teledoc where you're interacting with a specific person
2: it's more of a social media forum. Um, and then there's yeah, it's more of a more of a social media forum for being able to kind of like post questions and things like that. And I think they they have a vision for being able to to develop develop it, extend it further, potentially even for kind of what you what you just described, kind of like a mm-hmm. So um, but I think that's that so sort of facilitating the taking the relationships in agriculture and the ability to share that knowledge, taking it online in a way that hasn't really been done before, um, or certainly a, a fresh perspective on it. Um, and then we had another company, this is, this is, I mentioned before how we kind of go off into, into ag ingredients. I know people have a lot of opinions about alternative sources of protein. So I'll say right now that I'm not a vegetarian, but I try to eat one on a regular basis. And so, um, (laughs) the, uh, uh, I haven't checked that box yet today, actually. So I got to figure out what I'm going to have for lunch, but, um, but uh, we did find a really exciting company actually based out of Israel that has figured out how to raise grasshoppers at scale. And it, I, I didn't realize this until I started talking to them. Actually, I was talking to somebody else when I discovered this, but apparently when you try to raise grasshoppers in captivity, they turn insanely violent and tear each other to pieces, wow. um, which is kind of a crazy to think about. Cows don't really do that. And so <laughs> um but uh, but they figured out how to how to do this at scale. Um, they taught grasshoppers how to drink water, which is a thing. Apparently, uh, one of the things that's expensive about raising insects is they have to eat wet food, wet feed because they don't drink. Um, and so, wheat grass, which is expensive for people to buy for themselves, is was what they were feeding their grasshoppers. But they're transitioning into dry feed now. Uh, and they have some really interesting. What's fascinating about a grasshopper is it's one of nature's most efficient protein factories something like 72, like something between 70 or 80% by mass, a grasshopper, something like 70 or 80% protein by mass. It's insane. Um, And they figured out how to make it palatable. In fact, in the pitch event um, this past fall, they sent me a sample and I made a little kind of a quinoa bean burger patty out of it and ate it on camera. It was actually really good. And we actually fed it to, like my family ate it too. And and I've got, uh, you know, uh, a four-year-old um, who's not our pickiest eater, but he's not our—he's not necessarily our human garbage disposal either. That, that honor goes to our two-year-old, but um, but he's actually come back like, when are we gonna eat grasshoppers again? <laughs> and so and so there's a novelty to it. I mean, I think, and I think that's for a lot of these solutions. There's not a uh, okay, we're gonna stop eating beef. We're gonna all switch to pork Any more than anybody's. Got, I've got a, you know a couple of cars that that um, I've got a car. Um, that I'm passionate about and it's never going to burn anything but gasoline and and I'm going to hang on to that so there's going to be these things that like all fit into this part of part of a puzzle so it's overstating I say and what I love about drawer the, the ceo of that company is that he's all about this he's like you know the right market for this are people that are for example his beachhead market is in the fitness industry because a protein dense powder that doesn't come from milk has a strong market Mm-hmm. Not everybody reacts well to milk. Not everybody reacts to protein powder that's derived from milk. So this gives them another option, and so we're we're pretty excited about where where that can go and sort of its its role in sort of food security as we look forward. And there's other parts in the world too where people don't mind eating bugs. Um, but um, and then we had uh, let's see ready. Oh, uh, we have another company that kind of built themselves the Bloomberg Terminal of agriculture, really? and okay. uh, the the CEO Martha Montoya mm-hmm. is insanely sharp. She's been in food supply, food purchasing her whole career, um, and has built a really fascinating platform that is tackling the data, one of the data problems, many data problems in agriculture. So one that she's tackling is related to supply chain, pricing and availability. She's focusing right now on specialty crop because that's where the biggest pain points are in terms of where's labor, are there labor issues, Um, what what does the yield look like? And for, um, buyers that, um, you know, uh, the off takers and buyers for these products, when they look at merchandising, does it make sense to put strawberries on sale for the 4th of July? So we can all make those, you know, cute little like American flag cookie cakes or whatever. If strawberries are scarce, no, (laughs) why would you do that? But that information isn't always readily accessible. And so one of the things that Martha's doing is she's kind of pulling the curtain back on that and she's enabling High-speed adjustments to sourcing strategies, and as a as a former buyer she, she, uh, herself, she shared that when she first got into this, there were multi-year sourcing plans for where produce was going to come from. And she says, with between uh, between all the supply chain disruptions from uh, you know severe weather-related um, labor, transportation, et cetera, multi-year sourcing plans have become like quarter-long, months-long. Sourcing plans, and 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 that's really hard to do without a good source of information about what's going on, and that's what AgTools is tackling. And then the fourth company, um, how did I go through? So I talked about IntelliCulture, Top Yield, AgTools, and and um, uh, Hargle, the Grasshopper Company. So I think that's that's all four. And then our current cohort, our current cohort, we really we really kind of flexed a little bit, and we said, let's see what happens when we do something that is really Midwest relevant. And so we've got a group of five companies that, that are that are we've we've had some of them here already um, this spring. We're in week seven now. We brought them here for uh, for a couple of events at the end of uh, April. And um, so we have one company in the fintech ag fintech space. So it's more for ag lenders um, that are interested in looking at how uh, climate impacts their risk portfolio, their, their risk profile. Um, And so a really good example of that, I think we can all agree that we've seen some pretty significant rainfall events over the last several years at the least opportune time when everybody wants to get out there planning and they have to wait for, I mean, there's a, there's what's full on a pond. I don't even think it's a field anymore. I mean, if every time I drive by, there's a duck swimming in your field, it's a pond. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and I, I hope I'm not hurting anybody's feelings. I'm sure I probably struck a chord with somebody. It's like, yep, I got one of those. Um, but uh, I saw some some water skiing in a field a couple of years ago. <laughs> so yeah. Well, now that's just that's just rubbing it in. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, they're looking at they're looking at this to help help financial lenders kind of understand what does this mean. So they've primarily been doing it where I think everybody knows where this has been really painful. They've primarily been focused on the West Coast. But they're looking at bringing that that, that geospatial um, the understanding of risk to the Midwest. So, And again, like I said, we work with companies that want to learn. They engaged with us and they wanted to go through our program because they saw us as a good partner to help them find people that they can learn from. And so that's what we've been doing for the last seven weeks with them is connecting them with different ag lenders and, and people that understand agriculture in the Midwest to help them understand how their solution can solve a real problem as opposed to an imaginary one. So. Um, and then we also have a company that, um, I mentioned before that the sort of the, the quandary of farm management, uh, software shepherd is taking this from a labor-based approach. So this is, this is for, for larger operations or, or maybe a, a, a retailer where they're, they have a labor management problem. They have a number of tasks that need to be done. They need to assign those tasks to an individual and all of those tasks have um, properties or attributes or metadata or whatever attached to it for how the task is going to be done properly, how it's going to be evaluated. And uh, and essentially what there's other software out there that kind of does this, like Monday kind of does that. Microsoft Teams kind of does that, but it's not really focused on agriculture. What Shepard is doing is they're taking that workforce management, task management, and they're bringing it to agriculture. But when you're done, what do you have? You have a list of all the tasks that you've done over the course of the season. And the output of that is very similar to the data that should go into a farm management system. And so, but it's been done in real time. Why? Because it delivered value now, not in six months now. And, and so Tyler, Tyler, like I said, who had spent some time at Syngenti, he's very near and very close to this problem. I think he, his first inspiration he says was when he walked into a farm office and their wall was covered with sticky notes. And, and that was how it was being done. He said, you know. I think there's probably a more sophisticated way to do this. That's also less of a pain. And so that's, uh, that's kind of where, that's kind of what he's focused on. And then we have another company. Um, we have another company that's working on a soil sensor um, and then uh, deriving. So there's a soil sensor, soil probe, essentially, where you can stick this thing in the ground and get a soil test that that is functionally very similar to what you would get from taking a core, sending it, not, a, not like a, a two meter core, but taking a a core, sending it off to a lab, waiting a week or 10 days, and then getting it back. Um, And so they're able to do this more or less in real time. In fact, there are some applications where the sensor is left in. This doesn't work as well for broadacre, but there are some applications, especially crop, where the sensor is left in year-round, solar powered, and it's constantly sending that data back um, about what soil conditions are like. So, but you can imagine where for like a grid sample or something like that, just be able to walk through, stick the thing in the ground, and collect all the data, then come back. You don't have to worry about geospatially like correlating all the samples because it does that for you. It georeferences the data for you, um, which is pretty sharp. And then they're looking at, okay, well, once we have soil data, what what else can we do with it? So there's a lot of value to kind of simplifying the soil test process, but there's also additional things that they can do with that data. So they're looking at ways to try to take, whether it's from their sensor or from a conventional soil lab, how can we take that data and help level up people's um, agronomic decision-making? So instead of It's, and this has kind of been the promise of farm management systems for a long time. We're going to organize all this agronomic data so that it's all at your fingertips, but we're still kind of waiting a little bit on the tools that help actually manage five years of data or eight years of data to help you make a decision today. And so those are the kinds of things they are looking at around pattern recognition. What's a good way that we can, and, and what I appreciate about them is they're not going straight to the autopilot version where it's sort of like you need to put five pounds of nitrogen down per acre, whatever, like they're not getting that specific. What they're doing is they're trying to sort of offer some options and and let the expert expert kind of sift through that. And I think when we look at what autonomous decision-making looks like, whether it's in cars, airplanes, or anywhere else, that first step is really the machine, that artificial intelligence, working alongside human intelligence, which has context and intuition that the machines don't have. Um, and maybe they'll get there eventually but they're not there now and so walking alongside having that machine essentially augment human decision making um, levels up an efficiency uh is, a, is an efficiency enabler if you will um that would be particularly valuable for example a, a crop consultant who has 20 customers but they can only have in-depth conversations with five or eight because there's just so many hours in a day and so this this can allow them to essentially extend their expertise right it's like a it's like a super suit and um, extend that expertise to more of their, uh, more of their, uh, more of their clientele. So we're really excited ab- about what uh, what that could mean. Um, and then the last company, uh, I think that's what am I up to before? So we talked about Shepherd. We talked about AquaOso, the fintech company. We talked about um, uh, Sensegrass with the sensor. Um, we're also uh, working with a company uh, in controlled environment agriculture. Um, this is one of the two companies that we're working with that are from outside the United States. So this company is actually based out of Dubai in the, uh, UAE. And they've already launched, um, essentially a greenhouse management, um, program in, uh, in the middle East. And they they've already been quite successful, um, with that model there, but essentially it's almost like greenhouses as a service. Um, so why is that relevant for Midwest? because he's not targeting grocery stores necessarily, although that's certainly a customer that he's interested in. And he's, he, he's has some experience working with high-end restaurants and resorts that are interested in sourcing produce directly because it helps them with the clientele. But where he sees the opportunity is around things like succession planning and portfolio diversification. So you can imagine where as a Midwest grower, if you can take an acre or two out of rotation and put in a greenhouse, Now granted, you don't have any experience doing that. So then what's missing, and I mentioned this before about iPhones and PCs and everything, you know, other things. The secret sauce sometimes is simply in the accessibility. So he's not inventing greenhouses, that's been done. He's not inventing sunlight, that's been done. What he's doing is he's making this accessible so that people who are interested in this as a diversification play or farm succession play or simply a way to grow year round, that's possible. And he takes the risk, reduces the risk. He doesn't let's not kid ourselves. It's still agriculture. He reduces the risk so that uh, around by providing information about the proper crop mix, and he'll even staff it for you. And so uh, he'll, he'll find the, uh, the resources that you need to be able to be successful. So, um, we're really excited about what, what his opportunity looks like in the United States. And, and, and we're really appreciative of, uh, again, just a humble guy coming here, listening to the problems people have, trying to figure out how his solution can help. Um, and then there, the fifth company that we have based outside of the United States is uh, headquartered in Kiev, Ukraine. We're currently operating out of Poland for obvious reasons. Cray um, uh, Technologies. Um, Dimitri, uh, Dimitro uh, Sardu is the is the founder. I talked to him for the first time. A year and a half ago um, and they were still working out some kinks with uh, with their uh, with their aircraft actually i think they mostly figured out they were looking for pilots and so when we spoke again a few months ago um, he essentially figured like worked out all of the issues around his technology and has landed pilots in the united states he's coming here in a in a, in a month or so to to do these pilots and what he has um, and for folks that are familiar with Rantizo, this is gonna sound kind of familiar, but there's a little bit of a twist. um it's a it's a drone that flies seventy miles an hour, one meter off of the uh, so I know I'm mixing units, but seventy miles an hour about whatever a meter is uh, yeah, or three meters, or so yeah, yeah. Uh, off the canop- off the uh, uh, canopy. So very low reduces risk of drift much lower cost operating costs compared to an airplane, no compaction, none of the other uh, challenges that ground-based sprayers have. And it uses a high concentration product through an atomizer. So it's not the conventional nozzle. It's a, It's a much smaller droplet size that allows them to get away with using a higher concentration product, which means they don't have to carry as much chemical on the aircraft. And then they also use an electrostatic charge to increase the adhesion of that product to the surface of the plant, which also reduces drift. And so they're, um, they're working through a couple of, uh, uh, regulatory things with the FAA to allow them to actually be able to spray fertilizer. That's one challenge they're working at. Um, and then they're also going to be able to, they're going to have to get some, some sort of additions or modifications to labels for, um, for, uh, Pesticides and herbicides, and things like that, to allow them to use a higher concentration because a lot of that's, mm-hmm. you know, you're not off label use is kind of frowned on. <laughs> so, um, but for fertilizer, what's really fascinating is the, the well, so first of all, you're doing sp- fertilizer applications, it's worth taking a look at, even if you're just doing, say, one in planting and then one halfway through season or whatever with a, a, a side dresser or, or whatever. But what's interesting is for the lower cost of application, what would it look like to do three or four fertilizer applications in a season and have it be foliar and 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 not have to worry about some of the other challenges around doing multiple applications, when it's not cost prohibitive? Um and so and that's that's something that they're really excited about. What does it mean to be able to reduce drift? What does it mean to be able to uh, to possibly use less overall product, um, or or at least reduce the complexity around? I guess you probably use the same amount of product, but. Um, So they're really looking at leveling up that efficiency. And the other thing that's really interesting about them is that they own the full technology stack. They're using a proprietary flight controller that they developed, which is insanely complicated. Five years ago, if if they had come to me and said five years ago, like, hey, we want to develop our own flight controller, I'd be like, you're crazy. No, don't do that. But they did it, and they pulled it off. So it's a good thing they didn't ask my opinion on it. But um, they also have a computer vision navigation system that essentially recreates so they're not, it recreates the surface of the crop, like like basically terrain mapping. And um, and they have that technology. Um, the airframe is their own design and it's super cool. It's like a six meter carbon fiber work of art. It's gorgeous. Wow. Um, and just, it's functional too, but it, it doesn't hurt if it, it looks cool uh, while it's flying over your field, so. Um, and then um, they also uh, they also uh, own the technology around or have a very close relationship with the developer of the atomizer itself. Um, so both the electrostatic charge part of it, as well as the nozzle design, the centrifugal nozzle I still say nozzle centrifugal atomizer that actually um, sprays the sprays the product. So really excited about um, about their potential to disrupt. And, and this is meaningful. I think, again, two three years ago, everybody would have been like, why would I care? About this fertilizers cheap, I'll just put it all down at the beginning, or or maybe split it. But that's not the case anymore. And and if you kind of look at uh kind of look at fertilizer markets, particularly around things like like potash, we're we're not. This is not the last season we're going to have to deal with this, right? I mean, yeah. imports from Russia are question mark for a long time. And uh, and shifting supply chain, as we've discovered over the last three years of this, we've got quite a bit of experience now as you know dealing with with COVID supply chain disruptions. They're not going to bounce right back. And so the days of nitrogen being treated or fertilizer being treated as cheap insurance—they a lot of the most of that is probably in the rearview mirror. And so I think people are going to have to start thinking more strategically about uh, fertilizers and input. And so uh, then the good news is is that primarily for say environmental reasons, um, alternatives or ways to optimize that fertilizer application that are already in the pipeline. So the solutions are on the way. Um, and, and I think Cray, Cray has, is, is, is a piece of that puzzle. So we're really excited to see what they can do. Um, they probably, they probably won't have a huge impact this season. This season they're giving mostly just doing spraying, frankly, spraying water as, as demonstrations. Um, but next season, we're really excited about, about what that technology could do.
0: Well, Jack, I think you've got a robust pipeline. It's exciting to hear, you know, you've got the ag tech umbrella and there's just such a, a wide, um, scope of what these companies and what they're, what they're working on. So definitely some exciting stuff um, for the folks out there who want to learn more about some of these companies, or maybe the accelerator program, is there a place they can go to, to learn more?
2: Yeah. So you can go to uh so we're, we're operated by a company called generator, which is based out of uh, Wisconsin. And they operate a network of accelerators all over the uh, all over the country. So if you go to, I think it's, uh, and I'll spell it. So G E N E R the number eight t o r dot com and then slash Illinois Ag tech accelerator with dashes between the words. Um, and then uh, I can send you guys that link and, and you can include it uh, if it's helpful so people can just kind of click on it. But I'll also um, uh, I'll also share, and so your your audience, frankly, are, and I mentioned this before several times about the importance of listening to the end user. And, and I think a lot of the folks in your audience are those end users. So if anything I mentioned is exciting, you want to learn more, You feel free to visit the website. My email address is on there, but I'll go ahead and give you that directly. So if you're interested in anything, feel free to reach out to me and I can connect you to the companies. I'm, I'm always happy to listen. Like, this is great, but this is a pain point I have that you haven't talked about. Um, and so my, my email address is jack, J-A-C-K, at... Uh, generator.com and again that's g-e-n-e-r the number eight t-o-r.com
0: perfect we'll be sure to link all that in the show notes and jack yeah we really appreciate your time here and joining us for the podcast it's been a
2: pleasure yeah yeah well thanks for thanks for asking me to be here
1: The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the program hosts or their employer.